We have been in a series this Easter, these weeks leading up to Easter, and we have called it a journey to Easter. So if you've missed the last couple of weeks, guess what? There's this interesting thing called the internet. It's on YouTube, it's on Facebook, and you can go to our website, uh, any of those, and you can catch up with that. But let me just say, I'm excited about Easter. I'm excited because, and I know we call it Easter, but really it's resurrection. It's all about resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead that day. And we don't know exactly if it was this calendar day. How many of you know that doesn't really matter? What matters is that he rose from the dead. I mean, it goes back, and we talked about this in our men's Bible study. Uh, We know December 25th, Jesus wasn't actually born on that day, right? That doesn't matter. It's the day that we celebrate it. The important thing is that he was born. Sometimes we get caught up in the exact day, and it's like, you know what? Let's celebrate the event rather than the day. Amen? So that's what we're talking about. And and I was reflecting, thinking about uh, two years ago, Easter Sunday. How many of you know most of you guys were watching uh, service from where? At home. How many of you know? Let me just tell you, as depressing as that might have been for you, it was even more depressing for me uh, because I was talking to that camera back there in the back, And I had my family here. Any jokes that I had, I'm thankful for my son because he's the only one that would laugh at him. Uh, That's always been a thing. Uh, But it's good to come together, isn't it? It's good to be uh, together. The Scripture says how good and pleasant it is when brethren, and let me just add, and cisterns, whatever that sounds like, dwell together. That's a little King James there, but uh, it is good to be together. Let me just say the significance of Easter represents new life, new beginnings. It really is about resurrection where dead things come to life. And we believe that. Uh, We are resurrection people. If people don't want to know what's the difference in a Christian, we are all about resurrection. We're about, uh, we're New hope, new life, new dreams start, amen? I want to read a scripture out of uh, 1 Corinthians, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking, because there were people in his day that didn't believe in resurrection. It's like when you die, you die, and that's it. How many of you know those same people are still around today? Different face, different names, uh, but a lot of people, eh, I don't understand that, I don't believe that. Let me read, this is what Paul was telling, he goes, let me tell you this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead... Why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then what? All of the preaching is useless. Like, what am I doing up here? I need to go get a different job, right? And then not only that, he says what? Your faith is useless, right? If there's no resurrection of the dead, and he goes, and we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the dead, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sin. In that case, all have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, look what it says, we are to be more pitied than anyone else in the world. You know, it kind of ends on a bad note there. And then verse 20, he says, But in fact, can we all say this together? Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. How many of you know, because he rose, guess what's going to happen to you and I? 
We can rise, right? It's all about life. We believe in resurrection. Like I said, resurrection is what set Christianity apart from all the other religions in the world. People are like, oh, don't they all preach the same thing? Don't they all have truth? Uh, I will say that there is uh, hints of truth in everything almost, uh, but what sets Christianity apart is that Jesus rose from the dead. It's all about resurrection. How many of you realize Buddha is still dead? Right? Uh, Muhammad is still dead. But Jesus, all he has is an empty tomb because he rose from the dead. So, friends, you are resurrection people. You believe that new life can come from dead places. We believe that God can take broken people, broken hearts, broken dreams, and he can bring new life out of that. Amen? Amen. And I look around. If you've accepted Christ, guess what? You're an example of resurrection. You are an example. So let me tell you, one time when Jesus was going around traveling on his earthly ministry, he would often go to the synagogues and he would open up the scrolls and he went into one. Let me just read it out of Luke chapter 4. It says, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went in as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, stood up to read the scripture. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, which was written hundreds of years earlier. Isaiah prophesied about the coming Messiah. And so Jesus opens it up, uh, the scroll, found, uh, scroll, and found the place where this was written. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Can I say this was written? What is he talking about here? What is this good news to the poor? The good news is the forgiveness of sin, right? The Israelites, they did not have forgiveness of sin. They simply had like, I sinned, I offered an animal as a sacrifice. It was a temporary sacrifice because eventually they would have to offer another sacrifice, Can I tell you, when you had to constantly go through that ritual, it's like it's tedious, it's not good news, right? But the good news is that Christ came to pay for our sin once and for all, right? We don't have to keep doing that. And then what does he say? Proclaim that captives will be uh, released. Those that are captivated by our sin, by our sin nature, right? The things that we don't want to do that we keep doing, that we are set free from that, that the blind will see, that God will open our eyes, that the oppressed will be set free. And and I don't have the rest of it, but you can read it. What Jesus does after that is that he rolls up the scroll, he hands it back to the attendant and sat down, and everybody's like looking at him like, okay, well, I've not seen this before. Usually they expound off of that, but Jesus tells them today this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. And they're probably like, whoa, we've never heard that before. None of the priests have ever said that. None of the scribes have ever said that. But Jesus said that. And he was quoting out of Isaiah 61. He basically read verse 1 and 2. Now, what we don't always realize about Scripture, he might have read more than that, but Scripture does not indicate everything that Jesus did. I think if you know it, it's, the Scripture says that if he read, if everything was written, there wouldn't be enough books to contain Uh, But most likely, verse 3, it was either implied or he might have actually spoke it out of Isaiah. And I wanted to read that one as the very next verse. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give you a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, a festive praise instead of despair. And in their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. 
Now, how many of you would like to trade ashes, mourning, and despair for what? Beauty, joyous blessings, and festive praise. That sounds like a fair trade, right? I will take that anytime. But if you think about these three words here, ashes represent death, don't they? When something, and it may be a, a, a dream that has died, it may be a life, it may be your, you know, your current life. Things are in ashes, that means there's no life left in it. And that brings about what? Mourning, and that brings about despair. And so resurrection comes along, and Jesus is resurrection. He gives you beauty, he gives you blessing, and praise. See, amen, hallelujah, we can say that. So that's the exchange that he offers. God has always been a God of resurrection. Even when you look at the Old Testament, resurrection was promised all the way back there. And that's what we're here. Because of his resurrection, he makes it possible for our resurrection. Because he rose from the dead. And so I want to cover a story today that we maybe not traditionally cover on uh, Easter Sunday. We usually simply talk about the cross, and we do talk about the cross. Jesus rose from the dead. But I want to talk about our resurrection. What does that mean? So Lazarus, you may be familiar with it, maybe you're not, but Lazarus and his two sisters were close friends of Jesus, Mary and Martha. They lived in Bethany, which was only about two miles outside of uh, Jerusalem. Jesus stayed with them often when he was traveling in that area, and so there was a good relationship going on. But one day Jesus was off ministering into another area. Lazarus got sick, and not just covid Right? He, got, he got really sick, whatever it was, enough that the sisters sent word to Jesus, hey, go tell Jesus that, that his dear friend Lazarus is sick because they have seen Jesus heal people many times. And they knew if Jesus just could just get here, he could heal him, everything would be okay. And so word came to Jesus that, hey, listen, go back. Your friend Lazarus is dead. And look what happens. This is found in John uh, 11, verse 4. When Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Now, if you know the story of Lazarus, this is the funny thing about this, is that he did die, right? He did, pat, and, and did Lazarus' death surprise Jesus? Like, oh no, I just told everybody it's not going to end in death, but that's the important thing that he said, it's not going to end in death. He didn't say that a death wasn't going to happen. Basically, death was not the end of the story. A lot of times we see death and we're like, well, that's it. That's over with. I mean, on, on tombstones, what do we write? We write the date of birth, and then we see the date of death, right? We don't have, like, what comes after that. Death is never the end of the story if you're a follower of Christ, amen? And so uh, if you are a follower, here's, here's the thing that we're going to learn from this story. Jesus will never lead you to death, but he might lead you through it. How many of you have been through it? When we talk about it, you kind of understand what we're talking about. There are no dead ends in Jesus. And we've got to realize that. We've got to get that. Even when we look back at Psalms 34, what did David write? He says, even though I walk how? Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I've shared this so many times with people. Listen, when you are going through the valley of the shadow of death, guess what? Keep on going. 
Don't pitch your tent there in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. Don't build a fire and roast marshmallows while you're in there. Uh, we got to keep going, right? We got to get to the other side. And we don't have to fear. We don't have to be like, oh no, is this the end? What's going to happen? What does he say? I'm not going to be afraid. Why? Because he is with us. He is with us all the way. And so he's not going to lead you to it. But guess what? He can lead you through it. And Jesus wanted to do something in Mary and Martha and Lazarus' life. But guess what? They had to pass through the valley of the shadow of death first. They had to go through that. Why? Uh, glad you guys asked that. So uh, verse 5, uh, it says, Although Jesus loved Mary, uh, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Sounds like a band, right? Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, and again, I, I, I referred to you two weeks ago. I talked about the love of God. Here's the thing that we need to understand about how much God really loves us, because we know it up here, don't we? But we got to know it down here. Because when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, if you don't really understand how much God loves you, how many of you know you're going to get in that valley and think, where's God at? Why doesn't he love me? Why is he allowing this to happen? And we start asking all those questions. But if you are anchored in the love of God, you can go through whatever this world has to offer, and you're like, listen, God's with me no matter what. And I'm going to get to the other side. Amen? Amen. So it says, uh, although, uh, this is interesting, although God, uh, how many of you know when you see something like that, it's kind of, this word can be translated, uh, some versions, therefore, like Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and, and Lazarus, uh, therefore, he stayed where he was for the next two days. How many of you think something's wrong here? <laughs> like uh, uh, Lazarus is really sick, something is really going on, and, uh, and he's going to stay where he's at for two more days. Like, think about it. If you had the cure for somebody that you really, really loved, you really cared about them, and you got word that, hey, listen, they're sick, uh, we need you to come back, we need you to do something, you're like, uh, oh, you know what, I'll be there, but I'm going to extend my trip for two more days. Right? Like, who does that? We wouldn't do that. But, but have you ever noticed as you're reading scripture, Jesus often didn't do the things that we would expect. He didn't do it how we thought. And why is that? Because he is, uh, how many of you know he's got a better view than we do? It's kind of like being a parent. When you see your kids, how many of you know, especially when they're really young, uh, we see things that they don't see. Like uh, our grandkids were running around in here eating candy earlier. Uh, they'd probably be happy as anything to eat candy all the time. Right? But as parents, we're like, okay, that's probably not good for them. And, and guess what? It's really not good for parents either if your kid eats candy all the time because we have a better perspective. And I can tell you now as a grandparent that I think my perspective has gotten even bigger because the mistakes we made on our kids, some of you know we learned from that. Anybody with a grandparent, you understand? It's like, oh, you know what? I messed up. Sorry, sorry, kids. Uh, I messed up there. Uh, but on the grandkids, and, and people have always like, why are you so much nicer to the grandkids? Hey, you know what? You learn, live and learn, right? So God sees things bigger than we do. And he wanted to do something. He had a bit bigger uh, view for Mary, uh, Martha, and Lazarus. And out of love, he stayed two more days. Why? Because he wanted to do something. What they were doing is they were looking for a healing. They wanted the instant fix, right? Jesus wanted to give them resurrection. Amen? Yeah, we can give the Lord a hand clap to that. 
God wants, we want the instant fix. Oh, God, I need this. God, I need that. God, I need, uh, I need to win the lotto. Give me the numbers, oh, God. Give me the numbers. I just need this. God's got bigger plans for us. God sees the bigger picture, and we need to understand that. He understands that, listen, I want to do something in your life, but I'm going to have to take you through death first. Because how many of us realize there are things in our life that need to die? There are things that need to die. And resurrection always requires death. You can't see something new begin to happen until something finally lets go. There are things in our life, and let's be honest, so many times we're clinging to things. We're trying to work it out. Oh, man, I've got this problem in my life. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make it work out. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And we're hanging on to everything that we have when God is saying, listen, you need to let that die, and you need to allow me to bring something new out of that. Amen? It requires that death. Like Lazarus, listen, Lazarus, he could have been in there and he's hanging on. Jesus is coming, don't worry. Okay, I'm hanging on. I'm trying to hang on. But Jesus gave him a couple more days just to make sure he died. And you're like, whoa, that doesn't sound very compassionate. But I want to tell you, God may giving, be giving you a couple of extra days just so that you'll finally die to yourself. And you're like, why am I still going through this? Why am I still struggling? Why is this thing here? Uh, maybe he's giving you time to allow your pride to die. Maybe time to allow your ego. Time to uh, get to the point where you stop expecting the world to pay you back for something. How many of you know that's our world right now? To where you say, you know what, I have nowhere else to turn but Jesus. Amen. He allows us to get there. Why? So he can do a resurrection in us. You know, today we live in a world, and you, you could probably be familiar with a, a DNR, right? How many of you have heard those? Maybe you felt, don't raise your hand if you filled it out or if you hadn't. I'm not giving any political opinion on that, uh, but do not resuscitate. A lot of people fill those out because they don't want to be on life support. They don't want some kind of artificial half-life, and I understand that. Uh, but whatever that reason, I'm, I'm looking more at we need a spiritual DNR, right? There are things in our life that we need to allow to die and stay there. Right? We don't need it coming back. Maybe there's a part of your life, maybe there's a relationship that you know has been unhealthy, and you've got to let it go. Right? Maybe there, how many of you know some of us have stinking thinking? Right? I'm just telling you. And it's like, I've thought this way. Why do I keep ending up in this same place? Uh, how many of you know, anybody ever have a GPS take you to the wrong place? Right? Those things are not always dependable, are they? I remember this was years ago. Uh, we, were, we were living in Chico at the time, but we came, we were looking for a steakhouse in Sacramento. We're driving around, we're following the GPS, and we pull up into a residential area, and it says, you have arrived at your destination, and we're at somebody's house. And I'm thinking, I wonder if they got steak in there. Are they making that for me? So here's the thing, sometimes our thinking is like GPS, and it's leading us down the wrong road. We got to allow it to die like go God, reprogram that GPS in me so that I can get into the right place. Amen? There are patterns, there's habits, there's secrets, parts of our life that we finally got to let it die so that we can experience resurrection. Amen? There are people here, listen, I know some of your stories. I don't know all of your stories, uh, but I know that there are some of you that, that said life really didn't begin. My resurrection didn't begin until I died. 
right? Until I finally gave up. Until, what? who knows, maybe my spouse finally found out about that affair. And I was at my lowest. When, when I finally confronted my addictions, when I finally, when I got arrested, that's when resurrection began to happen. Right? We see death as the ultimate ending, but the reality is the ending of something that needed to die so that something was good. Because again, resurrection requires death. Things have to die. And so the question I want to ask you is, are you willing to walk through death so that you can get a resurrection? I mean, that's one to really ponder, right? Oh, of course I am. Really? Really? Are, are we really willing to do that? Are we really to put whatever it is on that chopping block and say, okay, God, chop it off, right? I need it to die. I need it out of my life. I've got to finally allow you, God, to deal with this issue in my heart. So let's move on with the story. Several days later, Jesus shows up at Bethany after Lazarus has been dead. The Bible says for four days. He's been in there for four days. And Martha heard that Jesus was coming, and she had a little bit of an attitude when she came. Anybody ever have an attitude towards God? Come on, we can be honest. Right? Like, I just got, how many of you know God can handle your attitude? Right? I'm not telling you it's okay to have it, but I'm just saying He can handle it. Just don't always have it. So Martha comes to Him in verse 21, and she says, Lord, if only you had been here. How many can sense that attitude right there? And yet still being respectful. My brother wouldn't have died. Like you missed it, Jesus. You had your chance. If you would have just come when we sent for you, which the reality is I don't think he still would have made it because he only stayed two days. He'd been dead four days. So I don't know what the travel distance was there. But the reality is she's like, if you would have just done it. Oh, God, if you would have just done this. And again, we have done that. Oh, God, if you would just do this. Oh, God, if you would have just uh, uh, provided me those lottery numbers, if you would have just uh, let this relationship, if I would have just got that job, if, 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 if. How many of you know we if got a lot? And, and it's like, wrong answer, right? Wrong question there. And so Mary, uh, Jesus tells her, he says, your brother will rise again. Well, great, you know what? Uh, she understood that. Martha responded the way many of us that have been exposed to Christianity for some time. What does she say? She's like, I know. He's going to rise again on the last day. You know, great, wonderful. Just, I know what the Bible says, right? I know the story. I've heard the story. I know all of that eternity stuff. I know that when I die, I'll go to heaven, a better place, you know, the sweet by and by, all of that. Uh, but Mary could be saying, but that doesn't change the fact that I'm suffering right now. That doesn't change that. And let me tell you, there are a lot of people that are not in church today. They know the Easter story. I've heard it. I know the story. Yeah, Jesus died on a cross, paid for my sin, forgiveness, uh, eternal life, all of that. They know it, right? Just like Mary. I know. I know. I understand all that. But what does that deal with my suffering right now? What does that deal with my situation? I love Jesus' response in verse 25. He told her, I am, notice that's not a future. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. You see, Jesus wasn't saying that, that he's the resurrection at some future event. He's not some future probability that is there. He is a present reality. Resurrection is something right now. I am the resurrection. Jesus is saying wherever I am, new things begin to happen. 
New things begin to grow. New life begins to happen. Dreams are restored. That's what Jesus does. Listen, when we get close, when we allow him to have access into our life, then that's how new things begin to happen in those dead places, in those dry places, in those, those painful places, right? How many of you know, looking around this room, and if you're online, you know, if you can imagine that, there are people dealing with painful situations, and you would never know it. You just look at it like, oh, nice, you know, you look nice, you know, seem like you got it all together, but the reality is that we carry these painful areas in our life, the parts of our life that we've closed off, that if we would just give him access, then new life will begin to happen. Resurrection will begin to happen. When I talk about resurrection, there's a couple of things that we need to understand about it. First of all, resurrection is not a time machine. It doesn't take you back to the good old days, you know, when your relationship, everything was good. You know, we can all remember, man, I remember in my life when everything was good. Had a good job, good pay, good house, good relationships, an actually good dog, right? They didn't poop on my lawn or anything, any, you know, all the good stuff. Everything was good. Let me tell you, resurrection is not a promise that you can have everything like it used to be. It's not one of those. It's a, it's not, it is a promise that out of the ashes, God's going to bring new life. Hallelujah. Right? How many of you know this past year we went through this thing called the Caldor Fire? Right? And uh, we had extra guests in our house as a result of it. Uh, some of you guys did as well. So we had one family in our first service that lost their house. Uh, that was devastating. And if you drive up that way right now, has anybody driven up and seen some of the devastation that's up there? It's horrible. I mean, it's like there's no trees. It's like a barren wasteland and all of that. Uh, but the thing is, if you've ever been to a wildfire area that happened 10, 20 years ago, how many of you know there? It's like, oh, man, I can't even tell. You know, there may not be this big of trees, but there are trees. There's new life that is happening. And that's what resurrection is in our life. It doesn't put things like they used to be, but God begins to do a new work in you. God begins to restore things. It doesn't mean that marriage that, that, that was totally wiped out and destroyed. It doesn't mean, oh, yeah, you know what, we're going to get back together. No, God's going to restore uh, even better. God's going to do things even better in your life. Amen? So here's a, here's a mystery that I want us to, to understand. Uh, when we do die, if you are a believer, the Bible says that we are getting a new body. Anybody want to amen me on that? Hallelujah, right? I'm ready for one that is new that doesn't matter what I eat. I can eat that whole donut wall out there and I'll be thin. Sorry, I'm getting sidetracked here. Anyway, we're going to get a new body. One thing we know, Jesus, his resurrected body, he got a new body. But guess what? He still carries the scars of crucifixion. When he appeared to Thomas, what did he tell him? He's like, you know, put your finger right here. He still had nail prints. I believe he probably still had scars from the crown that was on there. I believe that he still had the scars from the whip that was on his back. And he even told Thomas to put your hand in the wound in my side. I heard this said years ago that the only man-made thing in heaven are the scars on Jesus' body. Wow, huh? Can I tell you that resurrection didn't make all of that go away? Resurrection didn't mean that the crucifixion didn't happen. Here's what resurrection does. It's what makes the crucifixion beautiful. 
That's what makes it beautiful. I mean, I'm just going to do, I, don't, I have people raise their hand. I'm sorry, I got a habit of doing that. But is there anybody here, if you have jewelry or a shirt or even a tattoo or a wall hanging in your house of a cross, anybody, if you have any of that, raise your hand. Yeah, all right, look at all that. All of you guys have, you know, maybe you got the tattoo. If you got a cool cross tattoo, I want to see what, if it's in a decent place. Uh, I want to see it, right? <laughs> That's all I'm saying. If you put a cross in an indecent place, then you need to get saved. That's all I got to say. But uh, again, I'm getting off. Why, why do we have that? Can I tell you, if it wasn't for resurrection, none of us would have any of that, right? You wouldn't get the tattoo. You wouldn't put the jewelry. You wouldn't, get the, you wouldn't put it on your wall. How do I know that? Because none of you are wearing jewelry with electric chairs in it. Nobody's got the tattoo of, uh, of the gas chamber on their arm. Because the cross was a crucifixion. It was a, uh, a form of capital punishment back in Jesus' day. And the only reason that we look at it now as a symbol of hope, and we've got one on the back here, we wouldn't put an electric chair back there either. The reason we have it is because it's a, it was a symbol of death, but because of the resurrection, it is a symbol of hope now. Amen? It is a symbol of hope that, that, and notice that we don't put Jesus on the cross here because he rose from the dead. He died and he rose again. So we can look at the cross now and we're like, God, thank you. Resurrection is beautiful. The cross is beautiful because it represented his death, but also his resurrection and our resurrection. There's hope at it on it when we look at it. So here's the thing about scars. The scars that you and I go through in life, and I'm not just talking about physical scars. How many of you know there's a lot more internal scars that people have? Have gone through mental abuse, physical abuse, whatever the situation, rejection. Come on, how many of you have not been rejected in this world at one time or another? All of the stuff that kind of builds up on the inside of us. And, and here's the thing, without Christ, scars can simply be scars. You know, like horrible memories, trauma, you begin to think about those things. But when we surrender it over to Christ, then guess what? Those scars become a resurrection, right? They become your testimony. Oh, yeah, I went through this horrible situation. Maybe you went through the loss of someone you love. Maybe you went through a divorce. Maybe uh, whatever the situation is. And, and, And at one time, that was a scar, but now... Because of what Christ has done in you, you can say, yeah, I went through that, but this is what God did. This is what God did. Yes, our county went through this Caldor fire, but I want to tell you, in just a few years, you're going to see growth coming out of that, and you're going to be like, whoa, look at what God's doing. Look at what God's doing. It becomes our testimony. And listen, I can testify. I've shared with some of you guys that know me. Uh, when I was in high school, when I was growing up, I wasn't a Christian, I was, a, I was probably the biggest smart aleck that was around. That, that's just who I was. And every now and then on Facebook, people that knew me back in high school and earlier, and they find out that I'm a pastor, they're like, what? <laughs> How did that happen? You know what? I knew who you were. You know, I know the pranks that you would pull and the things that you did. And, you know, when I was 16, I gave my life to the Lord and, and I kind of went back and forth for a couple of years, like, okay, God, I surrender all, and then I come over here, except for this, that, and the other thing. <laughs> right, let me take those back. And so I kind of went back and forth, but I remember it was in October of 1984 that, that God really confronted me. He's like, choose today who you're going to serve. 
And I remember that day, I remember it well, I'm like, God, I'm giving it all to you. I'm finally, and I'm not saying I was, I've been perfect since then, oh no, my family will tell you that's not true, but I, I did finally die to myself. Three months later, I ended up in Bible college. Talk about like, what? <laughs> what in the world happened? But I want to say, if God can do that in me, I want to tell you, he can do it in any of us, right? He can do it in any of us. So the question that I want to ask you today is when you look at those dead places in your life, maybe it's a marriage that, that is a shell of what it used to be, whatever it is, or it should have been. Maybe there's a relationship in, 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 with one of your kids or a, a parent or a sibling or something, and, and it's broken and in such a way that you're like, man, this thing will never be back together. God will never be able to fix this. Maybe you had a dream and it's lost, and you gave up years ago. You know what? That was just a fantasy. I don't even think about it anymore. Uh, again, it could be wounds from somebody you love. Maybe words that were spoken over you, and then and, and that wound just doesn't heal. How many of you know what that's like? It's like, I've got wounded, and it just doesn't heal. Every time I think about it, it opens up again. Again, abuse, physical, verbal, whatever it is. When you think of those places, do you really believe that resurrection is possible? Do you really believe that God can bring good out of those horrible situations that you've been through in your life? Because that's what resurrection is all about. Taking things that were dead and seeing life come back. And Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And then I like what he tells, follows up. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe it? I mean, she had to, she had to deal with that. Like, do I believe that? Oh, yeah, I know that in the last day it's going to happen. No, do you believe it now? Do you believe that I can bring something to life right now? And he wants to take over to the tomb. Verse 33, it says, Jesus saw. This is, I, I, this is such a peculiar verse to me until I really got some insight on it. When Jesus saw her weeping, talking about Mary and Martha, and then saw all the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. How many of you thought, what? Jesus is angry when he's seeing people crying? I mean, that's not very compassionate, is it? Like, what in the world's going on there? Some versions, depending on what version of the Bible you read, some of them treat this verse kind of with kid gloves, and they say that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Right? Anybody have your parent, like, when they were mad at you, and they're like, what's wrong, mother? Are you deeply moved in spirit and troubled? <laughs> like, no, I'm angry, right? We understand what that's like. Let me tell you, here's the Greek word of that, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, uh, but it, uh, this is interesting. This is right out, the definition, to snort with anger, to be moved with anger, to admonish sternly. Anybody have a parent snort with anger at you? Right? <laughs> it's like, you know, you can picture the bull coming, you know, and coming out right there. That's literally what this word means. And let me just say, the picture that I get whenever I see this, other than a bull, is uh, the wrestlers, right? How many of you know when they're like talking to each other and they're talking smack? And uh, this guy looks a little intimidated, doesn't he? This guy is a little bit bigger. You can tell he's about to get a beat down right there, right? And that's the picture I get. Here's the thing. Jesus is coming, he's seeing people that are weeping and wailing, and the Holy Spirit is raising up within him, a righteous anger is coming up, because Jesus is looking at the great enemy of death in the eye. He is angry about death. How many of you realize death was never God's plan? 
That's not what his plan was. It wasn't something to be celebrated. Death was not celebrated. Jesus was not out there like the Lion King singing the circle of life. How many of you know, oh, everything dies and everything comes back and it's all good. I'm not going to sing the circle of life to you, so don't worry. But here's the thing. Death was not natural part of life. That's not how God created it. Death was a part of the curse that came when Adam and Eve sinned. And it's been going on. So, uh, And let me just say, because of wickedness of mankind, God decided that man can't live forever. Can you imagine in our sinful state, can you imagine someone like Hitler living forever? Can you imagine Stalin living forever? Can you imagine, okay, I'm just going to say it, Putin living forever? Right? I mean, there is a reason that death came as a result of sin, But listen, death came, but it's still no friend. Death is still no friend. Death, we have to understand, is the enemy. And here, this guy, I'm just saying this guy represents death to me. Death is a little bit scared when Jesus showed up. Like snorting, I'm angry. These are these people that he loves. God loves Mary and Martha. He loved all of the people there, and they're hurt, and they're brokenhearted. And Jesus is upset. And what does he say in verse 39? Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. He's been dead for four days, and the smell will be terrible. I heard somebody say, my favorite version of this is out of the King James It says, Lord, by now he stinketh. (laughs) You ever like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go there. How many of you know we all have parts of our lives that stinketh? We've got places that just really stinketh, and we were like, keep the stone over that because I don't want anybody smelling that part of my life. I don't want anybody seeing it. And listen, maybe there's parts of your life that you would just be happy to leave behind the stone, secrets that you don't want anybody to find out about, pain that you've dealt with that you don't even, you don't even want to go there. You don't even want to talk about it. Parts that are so ugly, they don't smell good, right? And for you, you would just rather keep the stone there. But let me tell you, Jesus said, roll that stone away. Give me access let me have access there. Why? Why does God want access to every part of our life? Not to embarrass us, not because he's looking to humiliate us, but guess what? He wants to resurrect us. He wants to bring new life. And the only way possible for God to do that is that we've got to roll that stone away in our heart. We've got to allow him access. What does it say in Revelations 3.20? Look, I stand at the door and knock. And this is Jesus. If you have a red-letter Bible, these are words that are in red. This is Jesus saying, he stands at the door and knocks at our heart. He goes, if you hear my voice, if you open the door, I will come in. And I love this version. It says, we will share a meal together as friends. How many of you know that represents intimacy? Like, we have a hard time having meals together with other people right now, right? Like, even families, it's like, hey, listen, grab your food, we're going to go watch TV and do whatever. Uh, We totally have lost the context of what it means to have a meal uh, together. But Jesus is saying, listen, if I'm knocking at the door, I want to come in. If you will open it up, if you'll roll that stone away, then listen, we're going to share a meal and we're going to talk about resurrection. We're going to talk about those broken areas, those hurtful areas, and we're going to bring life. And uh, worship team, you guys, you guys can come up. 
But we have to have access there. We have to open it. And let me tell you, there are a lot of people that know about Jesus, am I right? We live in America where, you know, even if they only know about, oh yeah, I heard about Jesus, something about a cross, I know Christmas is all about him and Santa and something, I don't know, right? Uh, People know about Jesus, but guess what? They really haven't allowed him into their life. They really haven't allowed him in. It's like, okay, well, I know, I know, but guess what? You got to do more than know. You got to actually allow him in. And like I said, I love how it says, I will have a meal together. Jesus is saying, when you open the door, I want to be your Savior. I want to offer you forgiveness. Those ashes that you've been at in your life, He wants to begin to bring beauty. The areas of your life that you've been mourning, that you've been in despair, He wants to exchange that and bring beauty and bring rejoicing and bring new life. And what did Jesus do after they rolled open the tomb? He said, Lazarus, come forth. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is saying that to to some of us here today. You know, if you've never surrendered your life to God, or maybe you have in the past, but, but, you know, it's like, oh, God, I gave you my life, but kind of like what I was for a couple of years, I surrender all except for these areas. Except for these areas right here. I want to tell you, until these areas actually die you're not going to know what it really means to experience that resurrection. God wants to do something in your life. Can I have everybody stand? You just want to make a statement and just say, God, I want to surrender everything to you. If that's you here today, I'm just going to ask you, can I have everybody bow your heads and close your eyes? You just want to say, listen, I want to make a fresh start. That's what resurrection is about. It's a fresh start. Maybe your GPS has taken you down some wrong roads. And you're like, God, what am I doing here? Why am I here? And if you're here today and you just say, I'm not going to make you come forward or anything, but if you just say, I want to make a new start. I got, I, I, there's some areas of my life that I want to make a fresh surrender. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. Kind of look up here. Amen. I see several hands. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you that you are a God of the new. Lord, I thank you that your word says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we don't have to walk in the guilt of our sin. We don't have to walk in shame. Lord, you just said, open the door of your heart and let me in. Allow that stone to be rolled away. And I believe that God wants to begin to do a new work in your life today. This isn't just about, hey, I'm here for Easter. This is a a surrender from this day forward. So if you raised your hand, maybe you wanted to and you didn't, whether I see your hand or not really isn't the important thing. How many of you know God sees it? So I'm just going to encourage us. Can we all repeat this prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to go to the cross and pay for my sin. Forgive me, Lord, and receive me as your child. I surrender every area of my life that you might bring something new out of it. All of the pain, all of the hurt, all of the bad choices, Lord God, I lay them down for you. Bring new life.
restore hope, restore relationships that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, listen, if you feel like you made a fresh commitment and if you need prayer, I know we got some people that will come up and pray for you guys. If you need prayer specifically about anything, I want to encourage you uh, to come up. Otherwise, we are going to wrap this with a song.